Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm in India. And we are your theory doctors. Hi there. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Um, yes. How, how, how are you, Hannah? I'm, I'm okay. The weather's not so great here in Scotland, but uh, other than that. And we have a guest today. We have a guest. Yay. Guest, do you want to introduce yourself? Do you want to introduce yourself? Should we introduce you? Please, you can introduce me. Okay. Our guest today is Dr. Tom Clemens. Uh, old, he, he, old friend of the pod. He's, old friend of the pod. He's appeared before. So he's the first guest we, who, who we've ever had back for a, for a second visit. We haven't yes. done that with anyone before. He says that he's here under duress. Which I am. We don't care. <laughs> um, so what are we talking about today? Today, what are we talking about today? Well, y- this is really timely, but this episode has been uh, in the works, I think, for quite a long time, because um, this has been a- an ongoing debate here in the UK, and-, and I'm sure in other contexts as well, there's versions of this debate. Um, yesterday, the Scottish government released results for all of the students who are leaving school or who have received exam results for this past year. And of course, the important thing here is that no one actually took any exams this year. So these results are, they're fake in the sort of statistical sense. Um, They're modeled, but they aren't real. And we've brought Tom on to talk a little bit more about the statistical side of things and how you create a model, why you create a model um, and, and what, what this particular model does. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of acronyms today. So I think we're going to try for, for people who aren't in Scotland. um, Some of the abbreviations and acronyms are a a bit mind numbing, but we'll try and explain as best we can. So uh, as, as, as you said, the no students took the took the end of school formal uh, standardized exams to the extent that they are standardized, um, and instead, all teachers at within the school uh, provided a grade based on coursework, based on previous academic record, and so on, and those grades were then moderated in scare quotes. They they were they were put into a model and uh adjusted to fit the the previous school grade history as in previous years what other other students have 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 achieved at that that school and then uh according to the headlines hundreds of thousands of of kids had their grades reduced had their grades lowered uh in order to fit uh in order to fit historical record the the argument and we we will ex- explore the the politics of these words in a second but the argument was to make the grades fair and to make the grades credible so that the so that you know as far as was statistically possible 
uh, a, a grade A this year meant the same as a grade A last year and, and so on and so forth. Um, we have problems with, with all of this, not least with the, the concept of, of credibility and fairness. So these grades, just to to, um, to give a bit more context for people who may not have gone to school either in Scotland or in the UK, which are the, the different uh, parts of the UK have have versions of examinations and grade awarding that are similar to the Scottish system. Um, for me, it's all like it makes my eyes roll. Like I don't understand a, a lot of it. Um, what are these grades used for? Um, they're used for uh, university admissions for those those students who are going on to university. Uh, for students who are who are going into jobs, it will be you employers will look at them. Uh, they they are in practice used as a way to uh, to objectively value a student's performance, a student's abilities. Um, okay, but. Of course, they're anything but right in in terms, and and Tom can say more about the the use of use of statistics here. But the the exam system as we have it at school is not designed to assess what a student can and can't do. It is designed to rank the student relative to other students, right? So, if a student were to get seventy percent in an exam, and everyone else got seventy five percent, then that student would fail. Right, so it's 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 the the mark is is on a bell curve. It is always on a bell curve. It is always a problematic uh, 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 way to assess uh, students' abilities. But in a quote unquote normal year, one ingredient in that problematic model is that student's performance on that day relative to other students' performances on the same day. Now that that key element of it as problematic as that element is, is missing this year. So you have the the rest of the statistical infrastructure, as it were, uh, with the with the absence of that performance on that day element. Yeah, so you use all the other data in order to estimate what the performance on that day was most likely going to be. Yeah. Um, shall, shall we maybe ask Tom to do a quick overview of how statistics have been used in this in 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 the way marks are modeled uh yeah so i think i mean i think my uh interest in this story really comes from the fact that uh, there's an there's a very kind of well now well used tradition in statistical methodology particularly in social sciences where you try and estimate the effect of some grouping variable on on the outcome of interest. So in this case, educational attainment uh, and the grouping variable is obviously a school. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because this whole statistical methodology uh, was built around an, an, a, re- a research question that was interested in the school effect on education uh, and, then he, and, and a statistical technique that allowed you to isolate the effect of a school on an individual's uh, educational attainment. Now, obviously, an individual student uh, is going to have a whole set of factors that go into predicting their attainment. Uh, Personal factors, um, as the ninja has been saying, that the, their performance on the day in, any, in an exam and so on. But on top of that, there's also the fact that the school has a whole set of characteristics that go into predicting an individual student's attainment. And so there's a whole kind of statistical methodology known as multi-level modeling, which was designed to try and capture how much the school 
and the school's characteristics mattered for an individual student. And so you could sort of divide individual students' probability or underlying ability into two parts, or, or, or their, sorry, their, their attainment into two parts. One is a set of circumstances related to the student, and the second is a set of circumstances or characteristics associated with the school. Uh, and, and educational experts are always interested in trying to understand how much, how important the school was relative to these other characteristics. Um, and that, so that whole kind of statistical methodology came out of that question is now used actually in a whole set of other uh, disciplines and topics. Um, and what's really interesting about this story is that, that essentially what they're trying to do here and in trying to estimate and model an individual student's level of attainment is that they're trying to inc- they're trying to effectively est- estimate these two parts. One is, you know, what is the student's underlying ability? And secondly, how much of that, how much of their attainment is due to that and how much of it's due to the, to the school. And that's a very, a very difficult thing to do. Um, but it's effectively what this, what this methodology that the Scottish Qualifications Authority has been trying to do, trying to estimate. Um, and what's really interesting is that actually, and a lot of studies will show this, we know quite a lot about how the school itself is a really, really important determinant of, an, of a student's uh, attainment. Now that could be made up of a whole set of characteristics. Um, obviously, how well the school is resourced, um, how big the school is, a whole set of characteristics that are that are associated with the school that go into determining the school's effectively the school's average uh, attainment, which obviously impacts uh, an individual student's um, attainment. But key here was that all that research was designed with progressive goals in mind. Yeah, the idea was to say was to say, look at these schools, they're under-resourced, structurally, they're disadvantaged. There's nothing inherently about these students that means that they should be performing lower. The whole point was to, was to create evidence to, to say, here's a way to reform education so that more students have access to educational opportunities that wealthier students have for, I mean, this is a lot of this comes down to wealth and poverty but what they've done here is the exact opposite. They've used this method. Potentially, they've used this methodology. It's not quite clear exactly what methodology they've used. Um, but they've used the assumption that the school is really key to a person's life chances, which we know it is, to then limit mm. a lot of students' life chances. Yes, or so- to, to propel other students who may not have gotten an A into... A grades. So the the underlying assumption, and and they they may or may not make this explicit, but the underlying assumption is the system as it, as it exists is fair, and therefore for these marks to be credible, they have to replicate as much as possible the existing system in the absence of a pandemic. Uh, but I wonder though, because early on when we were talking about this, one of the the reasons Tom got interested was because there was a there was a Guardian article or something that was that that called upon this issue that that was like they're they're trying to predict results, but they have a choice here because we know we know that the underlying system isn't fair, and I think everyone does know that. I think the government does know that because they use the Scottish in, index of multiple deprivation and stuff to to identify structural factors for why students might not achieve. as highly in school as they should, you know, all these kinds of things. So we know that the system isn't fair. It's a question about who the fairness is for. 
And I think in this case, the fairness is about previous cohorts. Yeah. It's not about, and that is fundamentally status quo. It's not about this crop of students, this cohort of students at all. So, so fairness is fair. The definition of fairness is to maintain fidelity to an essentially unfair system. Exactly. Um, so part of what they've done is they've used the, 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 the estimated assessed grades that teachers have produced based on the students' previous work and coursework and so on. And then they've adjusted that. Pretty much uniformly, they've adjusted it downwards, but uh, they've adjusted it much more uh, firmly, much more clearly adjusted it downwards for students from supposedly uh, de- uh, deprived uh, backgrounds, right? The, the the term you use, the SIMD, uh, the 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 parts of the country that are uh, are identified as being affected by multiple uh, multiple forms of deprivation. Now, one of the things that that does then is to to take the existing forms of discrimination, existing forms of inequality that determine that students who live in richer parts of the country and go to better resource schools do better, that fundamental inequality is getting reinforced further and further and further because the the reduction in grades is much more pronounced um, from schools where which are poorer, which are, are resourced more poorly. Effectively, the the SQA is saying that we trust the judgment of teachers in better resourced, richer schools more than we trust the judgment of teachers from poorer schools. Because if your definition of fairness is reproducing an unfair system, then the second bit of the 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 uh, rationale credibility credibility rests on this assumption that rich kids should do better. So anything that challenges that is deemed incredible, is deemed unbelievable, and therefore will strike at the heart of the this assumption that we are all working on that the the um, grades that are the the final single grade reflects accurately this individual student's abilities and and performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's I think really interesting for us, and partly why a lot of academics from outside of the system, so there's a lot of North American academics working in the UK, for example, we could go our entire academic careers and never understand how any of this works. Because as you pointed out before we turned on the microphones, university grading systems and exam systems are completely different. We don't rank our students in the same way that the the school systems do in the UK. And we don't examine our students in order to rank them in in this same way. Yeah, so... Um, one of the, I mean, there, there are a number of differences. One of the key differences 
in spite of the fact that universities are getting in many ways more and more bureaucratic, there is still a relatively large amount of autonomy that we have as educators at universities about how we choose to mark our students' grades um, compared certainly to school teachers. So when we, and this, you know, the, the higher education university system is not a homogeneous system. Uh, different, different universities, different departments do it, do it differently. Uh, but um, the way we, the way it works in, in my department, in my university, we mark our students' grades. Uh, we mark it typically in our subject, you have essays. So it's, it's qualitative uh, uh, assessments. We mark our essay, our, our scripts. Our scripts are then moderated by someone else in our department who uh, will look at one bit of coursework for every student across the coursework element of the of the degree of the of the of the uh, final module mark and will look at between a quarter and a third of exam scripts to ensure parity right that's typically what they're looking at so they're looking at you know the number of firsts the number of uh, of two ones it, it, are these two students who've been given the same mark done roughly the same amount of work or, or the same quality of work and then there is an external examiner who looks at again looks at parity and adjudicates on particularly difficult decisions but these marks are typically not put on a curve right so the student's mark is the student's mark largely and there are some exceptions to this but largely irrespective of how other students have done uh the grade boundaries aren't aren't changed based on how other students have done so we are marking a student's individual performance absolutely as opposed to relatively yeah um yeah and, and we the the term we use and it's interesting because the sqa report the technical report describing their methodology they do talk about grade related criteria in some senses and but it's really different from how we use grade related criteria i mean what's big in our department is grcs you know we say so so that we have and in the u.s this is called a rubric so it, if you have no students that are able to do the top thing, the top requirement in order to get an A, a 95 or above, then no student gets a 95 or above and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your best essay can't do that. It it doesn't get that grade, right? And it's the same with the bottom, which is why we don't have a lot of fails. We don't have students who fail every single time because we're not looking to, to say the bottom person has failed. Yeah. They're compared solely to the the standards at which you know we we agree a a two one English student or a two one geography student needs to be able to do these things in this type of assessment. And the reason why that is relevant is a large part of the rationale for this entire modeling system is to provide a, a reliable, credible, accurate figure to represent the students' abilities and performance in order for them to enter university where they will be subject to a completely different form of assessment. Um, and that disjunction, which is one of the, one of the things I've noticed in the, in the hours since the, the grades were released, is how quiet the universities have been. Generally speaking, universities have not come out and, and made a statement about the ways in which 
the statistical modeling reinforces inequalities in the education system, uh, which which has been the silence has been deafening for from my perspective certainly. Well, given that the universities, especially in Scotland, recently in the last couple of years, Edinburgh has made a lot of noises. I mean, they've been really quite vocal about this term widening participation, which is a government term. It's a it's an official term, kind of like how affirmative action was an official term. Um, positive discrimination is another official term. Widening participation means something very specific. And it specifically addresses, we've referred to it a couple of times before, the SIMD, the index of multiple deprivation. The cat there's a particular category that a, a student might might qualify for this category, SIMD 20. And it's it it's specific classification. And it is this same set of students, the same grouping of students that are affected by this grading system. So if a university actually cares cares about widening participation as an agenda for whatever reason, I mean, it, it might be for to fulfill the law, right? You you know, it might be for funding, which is is partly a, a you know a part of this program. Um, it, it might be for reputation. Um, it might also be for reasons of kind of internal agitation. You know, a lot of academics and students have have agitated and, and advocated for widening participation programs. You know, it could be all of those things together. Then this is the moment to say something, really, seems like. But I wonder if it's, if the scale of the problem is so massive because it is the entire system that is the problem that they don't really know what to say. And I do wonder too, because I don't know the the bureaucracy, you did admissions for a while, so you might know a bit more. There is a very, I would imagine there's a very political relationship between the SQA and the universities that they have a, a a sort of kind of don't ask, don't tell, that's their domain. This is our domain. We don't, we don't cross lines. You know, that there might be a diplomatic thing going on here as well yeah and and just to just to reinforce the point about quite how quite how acute the problem is in terms of the relationship between results of various schools and their simd areas as you you pointed out um so the poorest pupils so this is the what what is what is known in the in the field as SIMD twenty right so the twenty percent of the most deprived areas of Scotland, uh, the 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 students from from SIMD twenty have had their higher pass rate, which is the the key figure right how many how, what proportion of students are passing at at the higher level which is the uh, the the for 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 english students it's the equivalent of gcse this the the secondary school recognized secondary school leaving exams now the poorest pupils higher pass rate was reduced by by this statistical mod, modeling moderation was reduced by 15.2% from what their teachers who had known them for you know in some cases multiple years by fifteen point two percent, for the richest kids, uh, who are who are what's the SIMD eighty to one hundred, so the least deprived, for the richest kids, it was reduced by just six point nine percent. So fifteen point two percent for the poorest kids, six point nine percent for the richest kids. 
Now, um, in Scotland, typically we uh, universities because of the 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 date at which results come out, uh, Scot Scottish uh, universities typically give offers on confirmed grades as opposed to predicted grades for Scottish students. For English students, uh, universities typically give offers on predicted grades. Often the offers are conditional. Sometimes they're unconditional depending on, on how, how good the student is perceived to be. The reason why that matters is there's been a lot of research, uh, not least by our trade union, the University and College Trade Union, uh, which have said that giving unconditional offers on predicted grades artificially inflates the the entrance from richer schools because richer students, richer schools typically predict higher grades than poorer schools do. If that is true, and as I said, there's been a lot of research to underpin that, then the the grades that have, that were predicted by the richer schools would have been artificially inflated anyway. So when you are when you reduce by you know more than double almost treble the the grades predicted by the poorer students by the poorer schools you are making not just reflecting an already existing unfair system but you are making an unfair system more unfair because you are artificially penalizing more than the system does anyway the poorer kids or the kids from the poorer schools yeah and all of this is being done in the name of fairness. All of this is being done in the name of credibility because for a system to be credible, we have to accept, we have to have to, we have to see that richer kids are doing better than poorer kids because that is the logic that the system is based on, right? We've yeah, spoken, the yeah. capitalist meritocracy. Yeah. So do you want to speak a little little bit more about capitalism and meritocracy? Because I think that's the, the philosophical heart of, the, of this argument, right? Um, so we were talking a, a bit about this in some of our, the previous episodes that we recorded this summer when we were talking about race and education um, earlier on. And, and part of those conversations did kind of come out of us having conversations about this process, which was ongoing, that the, the um, SQA was working through their methodology at the time. And um, I think it, it, there are interesting comparisons to be made with other contexts. And I think we'll, we'll develop those in, in other episodes if we have the, the kind of emotional strength to do it. Um, but certainly coming from a North American context, the concept of meritocracy is so deeply embedded in the mythology and narrative of education and you see it here as well. And that the idea of the meritocracy is that it, it's, it's both intergenerational. So a family, has, a family has meritocracy in a sense. You know, the, the idea that intelligence is genetically inherited is a myth that's from, from that. Um, but also that, that capitalism suggests to us that the wealth that you accrue over your lifetime and also the, the social capital and cultural capital that you create for yourself over time is, is created by you based on your skills, based on your hard work, based on your creativity and your kind of individual, you know, graft in a sense. And that the education system is, is purely 
the sort of framework in which you start to do that. And it's interesting that there's a, there is a real, um, it's not so much a myth, it's an ideology that I've, I have seen underpinning a lot of the qualitative conversations and, and really anecdotal conversations about the results that have come out this week, where um, a lot of the, the kind of personal interest stories are kids from really deprived areas who were projected to get A's and who were looking at university. And for them, the last few months have been really stressful because for them, so much rides on this decision, but also rides on their, their opportunity to go to university that could make or break in kind of capitalist terms, the amount of money they make, the job that they pursue, the opportunities that they have, both in a kind of quantitative sense, but also a sort of life quality sense for them, this is make or break. And that, that, that anecdotal story, I think tugs at our heartstrings quite a bit because we recognize ourselves and those kids. I know Tom, you certainly do. Mm-hmm. We recognize our students in those kids, but also it's a really problematic story. It's a problematic story because it says that it, you know, buys into the bootstraps idea that the kids at the top of, of uh, an SIMD 20 school or an SIMD 20 neighborhood kids who are projected to get A's, you know, those are the ones that deserve to go to university and this is adversely affecting them. That, it doesn't do much to challenge the the capitalist meritocratic myth, which is that they're going to break out of their, their background. They're going to, they're going to beat the odds. They're going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're going to pull their families out of poverty. You know, those kinds of narratives just continue to reproduce the system because they don't turn attention to the really problematic stuff that happens at the other end, which is the private boarding school end, the aristocratic wealth end, the old money end, the family network and connections end, the old boys network end. You know, that just gets to continue on in its in its shady way because if you succeed, it means you're good. And it's, it's a really, I think, um, for us, it's really problematic because it, it forces us to ask, you know, what our universities are actually able to do, what they want to do, what they're designed to do. Are the University of St. Andrews and the University of Edinburgh designed to educate the lowest performing student in an SIMD 20 school? And it's that, that bit of the debate, I think, sits it sits off to the side in our sort of little critical corner because you and I would say yes, but it's not necessarily a a kind of central critique. Yeah. So, so um, I I remember this is going back a few years, but I remember when uh, new labor uh, was, was, was the, the, the party in, in government in London. Um, Part of New Labour's rhetoric was we we want fifty percent of of kids going to university, and there was a really odd, interesting backlash to that, which was based on the on the assumption that not everyone deserves to go to university, and yes. you shouldn't be sending kids to university because if they aren't good enough, because they are setting them up to fail, and you know I have problems with with the ways in which our current university system will admit students who haven't received enough training 
to be able to succeed succeed within scare quotes at the courses because they just want the money right there so so that is there is a problem in which in the way in which we will accept students who've struggled to get an upper second at at an undergraduate degree in order to 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 do a masters because we want their money that that's a that's a problem that needs to be solved but all of this this the entire setup in terms of who gets to go to university who is deemed clever enough academic enough bright enough what kind of university someone goes to whether someone is pushed to towards you know vocational courses however you define it the entire system is set up on the understanding that it is possible to objectively judge how good someone is yeah and it isn't when when you have crises like the pandemic the the impossibility of of being able to to make these judgments objectively is exposed but that impossibility is always there right from the start the the system is not set up is is not intended to provide an accurate unbiased objective understanding of a student's abilities and weaknesses that's not its yeah. point if it were its point then the these models that have been used in this past few months would have been used to level the playing field yes. would have been used this is an op- this is an opportunity for us to to firstly identify in a statistically identify the level of inequality quantify it in such a way that we can then put it back into another model to say this is what you would have got if you'd gone to this school this good if this is what you'd have got uh, a student uh, you know a poorly performing school would have got if you'd gone to this school or if you'd gone if you lived in this SIMD um, percentile and so on this is what you would have got and level out the playing field and it would have been it's a, it would have been the almost perfect opportunity to to uh, almost as a, not really a thought experiment it's a an empirical experiment to say this is what this is what we think that student would have got and it's the perfect it, you know leaving aside all of the kind of structural factors that have gone into you know hindering their um their attainment or or whatever it's the perfect opportunity to say well this is what this is what we think your ability is and therefore you're you know you're deserving of, of that place in that university i I, th- I think that's very well put tom and, and just following on from that it's it it comes back to that idea of credibility right leveling the playing field is if if by implication alone deemed to be incredible mm. right if we whatever we might do using the statistical tools at our disposal to account for uh the kinds of deprivation that we are talking about that would make the grades incredible that would remove people's faith in in the grades because the grades as they exist have to work on the assumption of a level playing field because if if they didn't then everything else that 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 relies on from who gets jobs to to who's allowed to go to university to who who is allowed to accumulate enough capital to live in an area close to a good school all all of that is 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 challenged so it it strikes at the heart of the the liberal democratic meritocratic world that we think we live in or that we are told we live in yeah yeah because it's a it's a, a combination it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy it's circular logic 
And we know there's cognitive dissonance here, right? We know that the system disadvantages students structurally and advantages others structurally. We know that in our minds and the universities and the government also know that. But at the same time, underpinning all of that is still this ideology that that believes the opposite, that functions on the assumption there's a kind of ideological foundation that the opposite is true because otherwise it crumbles. The system crumbles. And what do you have in its place? And and that's where the, the, the you mentioned widening participation, the various widening participation efforts of the university is of, of, of by the university. I mean, the, the institution as opposed to any particular university is, is so interesting because even when and and the existence of widening participation programs demonstrate that structurally and individually people in power are aware of the kinds of inequalities we are talking about but they speak to the assumption that it is possible through measures such as widening participation measures through increased increased admissions outreach programs so on and so forth, to make it more equal. Yeah. Right? It is still it for for all of the progressive nature of of such programs. And you know, we certainly wouldn't argue against these programs. They they're important and they they allow for a slightly more diverse student body and, and so on and so forth. But they all exist on the assumption that merit is a thing. Right? Yeah. That objectively merit is exists as a some students are objectively good and other students are objectively less good and that it is possible to design, at least if only imaginatively, it is possible to design a system that is able to accurately identify who the merit or, the meritorious students are. Yep. Um, and none of it at any level, at school level, from from primary, secondary school onwards to university to employment, none of this is ever designed to question what merit might mean and if merit is a thing. Because, of course, merit isn't a thing. No, merit isn't a thing. It's not a real thing. Should we make the case a little bit more for why merit isn't a thing? I mean, I guess in the, I guess in the most sort of post-structuralist sense, it's an invented concept. Um, and it's, I, I don't know the history of it that much, but in, in capitalism and Protestantism, it's very much individual. Um, and it's, a it's a quantifiable, thing that's based on a combination of behavior action and inherent skill and and, and that inherent are, nature is the point right that that yeah. that an individual student has a certain amount of predetermined skills and qualities and yeah. some you know some kids are good at maths and other kids are bad at maths and some some people are you know good at reading and other people are bad at reading and the the job of the education system then is in in this vision is to accurately objectively identify someone's skills and then slot them into the most productive place that they could occupy for 
to in the service of the wider capitalist system right so if yes. if if it is if it would be possible to scan my brain when i'm 5 and identify me as someone who is going to be good at processing numbers then that is the 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 line or the the stream into which i should be put in order for me to fully achieve my potential and be as be the most productive version of myself in capitalism yeah that's rather depressing yeah and i mean it gets super complicated right you throw in you throw in racial ideologies from the 19th century and the whole the point of that essentially was to say through various reasons environmental determinism the environment is what makes a whole group of people inherently less meritocratic less good at this thing or better at this other thing or someone's race is fun, it's a biological explanation for why someone isn't good at something or you have you have gendered subjects right like it, it yeah. engineering is for men and not for women or, or and so on and so forth you know women's skills are better in in certain types of fields and and not others Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, so if you correct if you try and correct a teeny tiny bit of that, all you end up really doing is maintaining the system because you can say, "Well, we've corrected for it." Yeah. And and so, and the 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 corrected version, the evidence of the fact that it's corrected is that whatever category you think of whether it's gender whether it's race whether it's class you allow a, a minuscule proportion of that category into the hallowed spaces of university or high level employment or government or whatever and their existence in those spaces proves that you have corrected the system and therefore no one wonders why there is a whole you know unseen underclass of people women racial minorities working class people who are never going to be allowed in uh yep. and it's the it's the promise of of entry for those select few which um which justifies the fact that no one else can get in because you clearly weren't good enough because if you were you would have gotten yeah one of these days we are going to do a less less sad episode Yeah, when capitalism doesn't exist anymore. Will we still be doing podcasts when capitalism doesn't exist anymore? No, because we won't need to. We'll all be getting paid 150,000 pounds a year for podcasting. For just going to teach students, whichever yeah. students we choose. Yes. Yes. Maybe the SQA will reverse their decision. and they'll just go with based on our podcast. Yeah, based on exactly and maybe they will just say, you know what? We're going to we're going to level the playing field and we're going to just we're going to incorporate all of this and we're going to statistically adjust for all of the unfair differences between students and they're going to you know, we're going to we're going to get we're going to give them their grades based on what we think of their meritocratic uh underlying kind of ability or whatever. I mean, and then we'll be yeah. talking about an almost perfect natural experiment <laughs> that some social scientist will take advantage of at some point. I mean, it's weird, right? Like if because the, the flip side is you could just give everybody A's, but the students wouldn't want that either. No. Because it's not about assumption, it's not about assessing performance, it's about ranking, 
right? Yes. So if you if you if you give everyone A's, then the A has no value, and I don't. Yes. By that, I don't mean the A has no value in terms of the the kind of logic that the system is underpinned, right? That grades have to be credible and grade inflation is a bad thing. I mean, if everyone has A's, you don't know who's first and who's last. And you need to know yes. who's first because if if no, if no everyone is first, then no one is. And which minuscule proportion of this, of this body of students will be allowed into universities? Oh. Right. I think that's probably a good enough place to end. Thank you, Tom. Hope to see you yeah, on another you. episode soon. You're welcome. <laughs> Can we do the next podcast on cricket? Always. <laughs> There's a podcast. There's episode. a podcast. Right. Um, yeah. Look after yourselves, everybody. Uh, hope, hope, hope you're all well. Hope you're all safe. Um, look after those around you, and uh, we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Richaudhvi. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our show is on Facebook at State of the Theory Podcast and on Twitter at Theory Doctors. Our music is provided by the Agrarians and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?